Thank you, brother. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to finish, believe it or not, today on the book of Jonah. I, I've been blessed just to study the passage and just revisiting what we know already, but then trying to glean some new insights to share. It has been a blessing. I hope it has been for you as well. So today is kind of like a conclusion of the entire book at the same time. My hope is that we get to examine ourselves. I don't know about you, but along the way, have you felt that you have some commonalities with Jonah? I mean, he's kind of like me (laughs) in so many ways. I'm just in awestruck because he does remind me of myself. We have examined that Jonah has become a crybaby. He talks like a baby. He acts like a baby. That's been the theme. Well, it's kind of like me. <laughs> there was a, a boy. He was just giving fits, you know, temper tantrum everywhere, and the mother is trying to be patient, but then she had enough. So she shouted at him, young man, go to your room. And when you go to your room, pray that God will take away your anger. So this boy went like this, and then he went to his room. And the mother followed him just to see if he would obey her. So through the door, she was eavesdropping, and she heard this, Dear God, please take away my anger. And she goes, Oh, thank God. But he wasn't finished. And please take away my mom's anger. (laughs) Anger is everyone's issue. It comes and goes. You don't have to be little. You could be old, male, female, no prejudice. It just comes. We just need to learn to deal with it a little bit better. Jonah, he had a hard time wrestling with his emotions. He was just complaining to God left and right, and it was getting worse and worse and worse. Because Jonah discovered that God had a different value than him. All the things that he knew about God, God pivoted according to Jonah. Well, you are this way to us, chosen nation, good. You can't be doing the same thing to other nations. Jonah was so narrow-minded. He thought about himself. He thought about Israel, and that was it. Or God is God of Israel. God was trying to teach Jonah that I'm God of all people. They all belong to me. Jonah couldn't accept that. Different value. This is what I want to focus on today. What is your value? As we examine Jonah's value versus God's value, what is your value? I know it's subjective, you know. We have different tastes, different backgrounds. I get that. But then ultimately, as God's children, we should have something in common. As a church, we should have something in common. It doesn't matter if you're a part of Mandarin or Cantonese or English congregation, main campus, northwest or south campus. We should have something that drives us at least the same direction. I hope to discover that value through today's message. So Jonah is a prophet. This calling was not the first time around as we examined. So 
Jonah knows God. He knows God very well. God tells Jonah what to say. And then Jonah goes to God's people and tells them what God has told him. So according to Jonah, his value should be what God says. That should be way up here. What God does and who God is, it should be way up here, according to Jonah. But then along the way, it shifted. For Jonah, it was no longer about God, who God is, his characteristics. It didn't matter to him. It didn't matter to him that God is omniscient. God is almighty. He's omnipotent. It didn't matter to Jonah because Jonah felt that God was not doing the right thing. Can you imagine? Jonah, he is created by God after all. He is God's servant. And yet, he turns. He turns the table and goes, God, I know you're omniscient. You know all things, but get this. You're not doing this right. It didn't make sense, but it didn't matter to Jonah because he's acting like a baby. No logic will make sense to Jonah. Yesterday, we had a wonderful event, another great event. We had a, a love feast, right? What can go wrong? Love feast. <laughs> so we had youth parents, we had youth co-workers, and we had a panel of volunteers to share their wisdom. And uh, it was just a just fun event, a, a blessed event. So I remember some of the parents sharing their experience with their kids, you know, all years, taking notes and all that stuff. Beth, I'm sorry, your mom talked about you a little bit. We found out that you didn't want to be a doctor. Uh, okay. But you married one. Is that, is that the next best thing? <laughs> I was sitting with Vivian's parents, the one who went to uh, Rice University. So I'm sure they were kidding, but they told me that Vivian wanted to go far away as possible. So she was very smart. You can't go north until you go to, unless you go to Canada. So... You know, she looked around and south is the way to go. Far this way. You know, aside from Hawaii, I think south might be the longest distance. So she goes all the way down to Texas. Not Texas Panhandle, not Dallas. She has to go further south to Houston to go to Rice University, farthest away from home. Right? They were, I'm sure, being funny, but we kind of get the picture. It's not all roses, right? No kids are like that. And then I also heard um, Guang, uh, Go Ming and Guang Jun talking about their children because they were in like swimming and going to Kuman and all that. They said, oh, you know, okay, we'll do the same thing for our kids without being angry. <laughs> I observed something different. Uh, the Generation Z, as they call it, my younger son is part of that group. And they're usually very smart. Not just my son, but you know, everybody out there, that generation, something happened during the pandemic. That generation, they became super smart. Somehow their understanding of the world and subject matters, it just took it to the next level. Maybe it was a YouTube thing. But anyway, they became so smart. And what I noticed from the Generation Z is that they're minimalist. 
They don't need very much. Just something simple that they like. Okay, that's good. But then negatively, they're minimal, minimalist in that they want to do the least amount of work. Yeah, they want to get A, but they're so smart that they're thinking, what, what can I do? How can I do this? Do the just minimum work as possible and yet get A. That's all they think about. I don't know if that's the case with other generations, but you know, my son and his friends, they all think about that. I kind of see that in Jonah. He was way ahead of his time. So he he was a minimalist. So he can't disobey God now. Second chance, right? So he had to go to Nineveh. But then he's thinking, what can I do the minimum amount of work without disobeying God? So he had to go there with a message. So the minimum amount, eight were sermon. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was it. And he was hoping for the worst. God said, I will destroy them. And he wanted to see that destruction. Because Ninevites were evil. Capital city of Assyrian Empire. I mean, I don't want to go into detail, but let me just give you one example. After they conquer a nation, just for fun, in the like a city square where everyone could see, they would make this uh, big base with a sharp object going straight like a pole. And they would just throw people on top of it. And more people and more people. And they would just watch people suffer. That's how evil they are. I mean, this is just a little sample. They wrote a book on torture. So as far as Jonah was concerned, they deserve to be punished. God should not spare them. So he did the minimum work as possible. 40 more days and they never will be overthrown. He just didn't know that God would use that simple message and he would turn people around. These are evil people, powerful people. They were proud of it. And when Jonah said, 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. God used that and moved people. And they were touched. And they thought, we need to do something. We need to repent. Even the king got in. He made a decree that everyone should wear a sackcloth and repent. Pray and fast. And he added, who knows? We don't know if this God will forgive us even after all these things, but who knows? Maybe he will, so we should give this a try. It was just amazing. Again, Jonah's value. As a prophet, this is a time he should be rejoicing. But not Jonah. He couldn't do that. He couldn't rejoice. In fact, he was upset. He was getting more and more angry at God. God is just doing what is natural to him. He wants to extend grace, his compassion, slow to anger, abounding in love. All those wonderful characteristics of God that Jonah loved so much, and now he's saying, I don't want you to do that anymore. So God had to reason with him. God pursues Jonah 
and he gives him second chance and, and more forgiveness, more grace, and then he, now he's reasoning with him. And finally God says, is it right for you to get angry, Jonah? We saw this last week. Jonah don't even respond to God. He just walks, walks away, goes out uh, of the city on the east side, and he pitches a little tent, and he's go, he goes, I'm not going to do anything. I'm done. But I'm going to watch. That was Jonah. This is where we pick up today's uh, passage, verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow, grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to uh, ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. That uh, area gets really hot, especially when sun is up and especially when there's an east wind coming. It's a hot wind. So Jonah is uncomfortable. I guess his shelter wasn't good enough to provide that type of shade. So God pursues Jonah yet again, and he makes the plant grow, providing that shade. I mean, God is just just unending, extending his grace. This is the first time in the book we read that Jonah is happy. This is Jonah's value. We cannot put it any other way. He was unhappy from the moment that God called him to go to Nineveh. He was angry and it was getting worse and worse, worse progressively. And only now, he's happy. I mean, he pivots so well. He was angry. He walks out on God. He was like pouting. and, and, And next thing he goes, I'm so happy because of that itty bitty shade. This is Jonah's value. Something that happened for me, my way. Check mark. Jonah valued this leafy plant. But then it turns around very quickly once again. Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. I mean, we could just see Jonah getting angrier, angrier, and angrier. What's noteworthy here in this verse and the next verse is that throughout the book, when um, God is written, they use the word Jehovah, Jehovah, as in God who saves. But here and the next verse is Elohim, the creator. So as God is reasoning with Jonah, he is now describing himself as the creator. The plant, creator. I made it grow. Warm, so it's, I created, I sent it. Sun, under my care. East wind, also mine. God is telling Jonah, I'm the creator. All these things belong to me. But then Jonah's anger gets worse. Verse, um, the rest of the verse 8, he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. We heard this before. And now Jonah is unafraid to say this. 
because his anger is getting worse and worse, and he doesn't want to give up now. Just to prove his point to God, he wants to die. This is how he could rub it in. God is the provider of life. God oversees everything. And for God's prophet of all people to say, God, you're not doing it right. Just get rid of me. This is how he could rub it in. Just to prove his point. He knew this would make God sad. And then this will pro- uh, get promoted to more Q&A. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plan? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Okay, and God said, Are you sure you have this right? Yes. A thousand times, yes. And to prove my point, just kill me if you don't believe this is true. And then we need to go to verse 10 very quickly. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plan, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Jonah had nothing to do with this plan. Yet he's angry. He was so happy when this plant provided a little shade. When that went away, he got angry to the point of no return. Now he's just pouring out on God. The concern is interesting word because this describes God's value. The word concern, in Hebrew, it means compassion. But then it also has a meaning of moving to tears. This is God's value. This is what God is trying to teach Jonah. I have this concern. I have a concern for the people in Nineveh. There are 120,000 of them who cannot tell their left from their right, meaning there are more, about 600 or so, according to many theologians. I have concern for that people. You have nothing to do with this plant, yet you are angry that this plant died. If that's the case, what about me? All these people, even Ninevites, are created in my own image. I love them. If you're angry about a plant that you have nothing to do with, what about me? When I think about Ninevites, how can I not be moved to tears when I observe them sinning and not repenting? This is God's point. This is the value of God. His value is in people, that all people will get to know Jesus Christ, that all people will get to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So God is moved to tears when he sees unbelievers. Worse yet, how much more tears when he sees his prophet that he has called to serve him, to deliver Ninevites, 
is now complaining. And he's telling God, kill me. If you're not going to do what I want you to do, just kill me. And I just wonder if we might not be in that kind of situation at times. That we pray and then he has to answer us. I go to church, I give offering, I serve. If I pray, God has to answer me. Answer my prayer my way, how I like it. We probably don't go that extreme, but something like that maybe. Last year, uh, the Roe versus Wade was overturned by our Supreme Court. Praise God. But so many states are fighting back. They want to overturn what they have overturned. It just comes down to this. The little creature inside mother's womb, is that a human being or not? It just comes down to that. It's my body. I could do whatever I want. Not if that little thing is a human being. It's just a matter of obeying the Bible. This is what Exodus 21 says. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there's no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life. This is where we get this famous verse. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn to burn, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. God values human life the same. The unborn baby and the mom. They deserve the same values, same protection, same treatment, according to the Bible. It just comes down to that. For us, we need to add non-believers as well. After all, we're saved. We may wrestle with different things, but at least we're saved. But what about them? They're all Nineveh. When we think about them, do we gain this compassion that God has? Move to tears to that extent. I mean, it's not just, you know, we're not done after we die. When we die, then our eternity begins for all people. It's just heaven or hell. Forever, we're going to be in one of those places. So we need to consider that when we look around. And I pray that we'll be able to gain, inherit the same compassion that God has for his people. When I uh, had my first child, my wife and I, we were just amazed and we were just praising God for his blessings. I'm sure you guys gone through that as well. If you're not a parent, you know, but you don't really know. Unless you're a parent holding a child. So I'm holding a child and I'm praising God and I promise myself it doesn't matter. As long as God provides, I'm happy. So I just made up my mind. I'm just going to praise God no matter but then as soon as I held the baby, I looked. Two eyes, one nose, one mouth, two ears, good, check. Two arms, check. Ten fingers, check. Two legs, two feet, ten toes, check, check, check. So I'm like, yes. 
And then soon afterwards, we found out he had jaundice. It was so severe that he had to go to ICU. And my wife had an infection. So I go to hospital, seventh floor, my wife, third floor, my son. So I go up there, I cry with my wife, oh, and then go downstairs, I'm crying, you know. <laughs> and I was observing my son under the lights. He, they put a little mask on him. It's like, oh, Batman. <laughs> so, <laughs> but then, you know, I knew he was suffering, the IV going into his body, and I'm just praying, and I'm just, you know, crying for him. And then this thought just flashed right by my face. It just just hit me. Like, what? And that thought was, I know you love your son. Did my parents feel like this about me? That's kind of strange. I I never questioned my parents' love for me. But as I pray for my son, just just being in pain for him, the thought was, did my parents love me like this? Answer is yes, of course. But then that's when it just hit me. Wow, my parents, this kind of love, I just couldn't imagine. I thought I knew, but I didn't know. Or God's love, we often say, is unconditional. He's willing to suffer for us, for all people. This is something that we have to grasp, our God's love for all people. And I just pray again that we will gain something like this. What is our value? That's not the question that we should be asking. What is God's value? Can we make that our value. As we worship God, as we take care of our family, raising our children in godly ways, we have energy still to go and make disciples, to share the gospel with the lost, because they need Lord. They need God. This is a song that we're going to sing again. We sang last week, so hopefully we could sing a little better this time thinking of the words uh, as we sing, people need the Lord. I want to leave you with this verse, famous verse, Matthew 7, 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I pray that we get to experience this today, this week, as we experience God's love, the abounding love, slow to anger, his compassion, his grace, I pray we'll just bounce that off to other people, others around us, so that they will receive God. They will experience God. Father, thank you so much for blessing us, just being patient with us, and just pursuing us, your unending love, O oh Lord. We thank you so much for accepting us as we are, although we fall short just every single day. You're 